Welcome to Between the Bullet Points, a podcast series that celebrates the journey and lessons about vocations and career paths. My name is Sean McDonald, and I'm your host for what I know will be interesting and insightful experiences from a variety of professionals across an entire spectrum of occupations. When we look for a new job, it's standard that we submit a resume, which contain bullet points with job titles, responsibilities, education, and other information. However, we rarely share the thoughts and stories that occur between the bullet points, and those can be some of the most significant parts of a person's career. This project seeks to inquire more about a person's professional journey that is not always evident from their resume. The career stories that guests will share are unique, interesting, and seldom told. I believe that each of our stories should be shared, as they can be inspirational and lessons for other people to start or influence their career paths and decisions. Well, I'm very excited today to speak with Gene McDonald. Full disclosure, he is my dad. Uh, he was born and raised in Nanticoke, Pennsylvania, a U.S. Navy veteran, and retired from a significant career in education, mostly in high school guidance from the Bridgewater Raritan School System. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you for agreeing to be my guest and sharing your story today. Oh, you're quite welcome. Glad to do it. Excellent. There's uh, many things that we'd like to cover during this interview, and the purpose of the podcast is to discuss a career path, occupational choices, and opportunities, uh, so our guests really get to understand what you went through and, and how you got there. Uh, and what we really want to talk about mostly is not only how you got started in your career, but how and why you were able to develop and expand your experience uh, through happen, that, that happened throughout your career. Uh, in other words, what happened between the bullet points on your resume. So, uh, so first things first, let's, let's get back to the very, very beginning. I had mentioned uh, previously that you were born and raised in Nanticoke, Pennsylvania. So let's kind of like start around that era right now and, and thinking about your future when you're kind of growing up in that, you know, maybe that middle school, high school time frame. Uh, and what what was going through your mind at that time as far as what your future would look like? Uh, did you have any idea of what you wanted to do for a career? Basically, I, I'd have to say I really, you know, you think of many different things, but I went to a parochial grade school, high school, and also a Catholic college. And the, in, the, in the grade school, it wasn't bad, but high school, I would serve mass constantly. As an altar boy, uh, the school was about 10 miles away. I would hitchhike up to the school and get there maybe in time for mass every morning uh, rather than take a bus and spend five cents for the bus. <laughs> but then I would serve mass and and the priest at St. Francis where I went to grade school in the parish we were in and the uh, the nuns at the high school all thought, oh, maybe I should be a priest. <laughs> mm, so you're so, towards being a priest. It, <laughs> I guess in my mind I wasn't thinking that, but I said I was appeasing probably. Yeah. By were, when were I went your, to college. Yeah. Were your parents supportive of of that potential career choice? Uh, Nana was indifferent about it. My father really didn't. You know, he said if you know, if you want that's that's what you want. But they really weren't completely aware because I, I in my first two years at uh, college I took the Latin and Greek. And uh, it was very interesting because in our Greek class, there were four of us, and three of them became priests, three of the four. I was the only one that didn't. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. All right. So let's <laughs> let's back up for just a second. We don't want to get to college okay. just yet. Um, so first of all, growing up in high school, like what were some of the influences around you? What kind of careers were happening? What what did you see? And and did anyone talk to you about your future and your careers? You know? No, we had in fact we had strictly academic. We never had uh, any. Uh, they never introduced typewriters into the classroom. Uh, it was a couple of years after I graduated from high from high school that they finally brought some typewriters in so that you could learn personal typing, basic typing. Uh, the only courses you know that we were looking at every day was your English, your math, which went all the way went from from the uh, the algebra one to geometry, trig. Tr- uh, Okay. And your sciences, you know, uh, so, I ended up in physics rather than chemistry. Right. And so, that was because we thought that the one, none was a better teacher than the other one. <laughs> and, uh, it's you know, the, case, the normal right? courses of, as I said, uh, French, two years of French, uh, two years of Latin high school. So let me understand and then something. College, I'm, I'm, two years. I'm going to bend my own rule for just one second while we're talking about this because you're you're kind of bringing it up, and of course, you know, some things have changed and a lot of other things haven't. Uh, you know, we're taking the, the relatively same topics in high school and academics, and and there might be a little bit more, but uh, the one thing is you ended up in in guidance, and so I'm curious to know that when you were in high school and were just about to get to your college experience that somehow you were you got there now in your role that you retired from you would help students kind of look ahead in in their future and and see where they wanted to go maybe where their talents lied and and you know the options that they had for post-secondary education or careers and, and things like that and even by the title of your own position you would kind of guide their options and their choices and, and all that too did you have any well, of that that stuff back in your high school or you know people around you no. or anything like that you did that uh, there were no the only influences basically as i said was the nuns and the priests probably no one because i had no familiarity with with the uh, the public school, they, they might have had a, a medical high school might have had a counselor. They probably did to help kids with college and so on. But, mm-hmm. you know, or the school that I went to, you were going to go to King's. King's was the, the Catholic college around the, you know, it works there. And that's the one you wanted to go to. So okay. really, yeah. you know, I, I knew I was going to college, but, you know, after, so how, how, did, I got there, how did you know that? I mean, what, what's, What's the driving force behind? It was assumed. Okay, by, by you, by your parents, already. by everyone, by who? No, no, that wasn't the parents. I think it was the, the nuns uh, in the high school were saying, you know, that uh, you, you've got to go to college. You know, they put a little, you know, some suggestions in there, you know, and the priest from Nanakook called me in and, and uh asked me if I was going, and uh, he picked up the phone and called, and they got me a job at King's in the cafeteria. And he was happy because I was looking at things like Latin and Greek and maybe becoming a priest. But after two years of having, you know, those courses, I realized was I changed over to economics at the time. Okay. And graduated with a major in economics. Economics, all right. 
Yeah. There's a, there's a piece of information I did not know. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, my degree was in economics. Then I went into the Navy. And while I was in the Navy, I think I finally was able to think, now, what do I really want to do? And I looked at many things and talked to many people aboard ship. I was on a destroyer. And many of the officers. And uh, I finally realized, you know, I think I'd like to teach. And the, the two two areas that I would be interested in teaching initially would be social studies and English. So as a result, when I came out of the Navy, I we were married, uh, and I was able to stay in Worcester for a year, go back to King's, and pick up education, do my student teaching and picking up the courses. So it took me an extra year. I, I put five years in to get the degree to start teaching, but I taught at a... Uh, a, a local Wilkes-Barre Township high school, and it was, it was very good experience so, that I had. So you there. stayed taught uh, in in social studies. Yes, at, right, the high, at the high school level. At the high school level, I did mostly sophomores, freshmen, and sophomores. Okay, good. Yeah, you know, I did I did civics, and I did uh, U.S. history, the first U.S. history one at that time. Okay, and the kids were good, and. Uh, you know, I learned a lot just being in front of them and getting prepared every day. So th- that was, you know, my start toward that uh, toward that field. Okay, so and of course, I had to... so a lot has uh, has happened between that time. You, uh, we just covered the fact that you went to college. You majored in economics. You went into the navy. Uh, you talked to a lot of people, and you decided that you wanted to go into teaching. Um, between English and social studies, you ended up following the path to social studies. But uh, a lot has happened in between those years. And you've been back and forth. You've worked a lot of uh, jobs while you were going to school. You worked a lot of part-time jobs during the summers. Uh, so what's what's one of the earliest jobs that you can remember doing, in, even on a part-time basis? Well, when I went to college <clears throat> for the... Uh... The first year I worked in the Poconos, uh, I was before my first year of college, for my senior year in high school. Mm-hmm. One of the ladies that uh, my mother knew had uh, mentioned her son. She and her son were working in the Poconos, and she said, there's jobs there if I want them. So I took it and went away that summer and worked in the Poconos, came back and what, what, went to college. What were you doing in the Poconos? Basically, I was doing what they said, what they called a middleman. I had charge of pouring out the soup, uh, doing the coffee, making the milk, uh, getting everything prepared, ice and things like that. So I'd have to go in early and get everything ready. And then the waiters would come in. And then at night, what I would do is to make extra money, mm-hmm. I would do their silverware because they had to go out and they would, they, it was a, uh, a, a resort that, housed basically in the summer mostly young women who were either secretaries or teachers or so on and they would send so much in every month and at, at the, by the time summer rolled around they had enough for maybe two weeks in the Poconos there oh. and they had the, the waiter's job was to go down and dance with them because <laughs> there weren't as many men there my job was to stay and do the, what the waiters would be doing 
<laughs> their silverware and setting up their tables and everything else. But that was, you know, uh, the four years of college, or the, the, the first year of college. Mm-hmm. Then I went to Johns Manville for the next three years. Now, and just, I worked just at for Johns reference, Manville. Just for reference, you're, you're living in Nanny Coke. You're going to Wilkes-Barre, which is about a town away, uh, to, to go to college. So this is between your first and second year of college. And Johns Manville is how far away? Johns Manville was about, uh, well, Manville, New Jersey, Somerville, right by Raritan, mm-hmm. where we, you know, where we lived for a while. Yeah. Uh, actually, one of the one of the guys had a car, so we uh, would have to travel probably mm, two and a half hours wow. in those days. Okay. Over the mountains to get to Manville, we would go down, and many times I'd only come home in the summer. While I'm working, I might come home once, then maybe that that would be it. Because we were working six days a week, uh, and sometimes even for the seventh day, I get overtime. So, so what, yeah. what were you doing at Johns Manville? Basically, I was working on shingles, the, taking the, the shingles and tying them, working on machines that uh, they basically transide pipe. The uh, shingles for for the for the roofs of homes, mm-hmm. uh, and that was the, most of it was that. And then the one year I did work on transide pipe, so now that you was... know, kept me busy. They they the pay the people were good. The pay was good, considering you know what I would have gotten if I hadn't worked there. So how did you, you come across this college. opportunity that that's two and a half hours away? <laughs> well, one of the guys that I graduated from high school. Frank Piscitis heard about it, and he said, what do you see? We try it. And he and uh, another friend, Tom Finley, and myself went down, and they, they hired us on the spot because during the summer, their people would take vacation, mm-hmm. the regulars, and they wanted to keep going. They were busy and wanted to keep going full 100%. So they said, yeah, we're happy to have you. So was and, this an opportunity because, you know, was it good paid? Was there not enough work around the Nanticoke area? What's happening? No work. No work there. No? No. Not at all. Excuse me. Fortunately, I had the GI Bill. Mm-hmm. And when I came back to go to, to, for the uh, teaching, I was able to utilize the, the GI Bill. And in addition to that, Back in Pennsylvania at that time, if you're unemployed, which I was, and that they they were, I was getting thirty-five dollars a week unemployment from the middle of September up until I guess it was I left uh, in April to go uh, down to New Jersey and work. Hmm. So, you know, they kept us. You know, with the thirty-five dollars a week from that, the GI Bill, paying the tuition, and also giving me money to live on. Your mother and I had a nice apartment in uh, right outside of Worksburg, about five miles, well, a couple miles from the college. And she worked, and of course, I would go to school every day. I think we had one car. I would drop her off at work, and then I would go and do things and pick her up in the afternoon. Okay. When it was time. To come back home, so and that's when uh, Lee was born. Also back there, 
So you got <laughs> married after you came back from the Navy and before you went back? To... No, no, I got married while I was in the Navy. While you were in the Navy, okay. Right. Uh, One year in the Navy, we, I went in the Navy, and uh, it was about a year after I went in. But, uh, I came home, and we got married uh, September 18th, 54, okay. and that was it, 66 plus years ago. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. All right. You spent two years in the Navy in between there. You got married. Uh, and we're kind of skipping around here, but that's good. It's, it's, it's fine. The, uh, what did you, uh, what did you do in the Navy? What was, what was your job? And what were you I was in radar, radar, radar. Yeah. Okay. I was aboard the ship and we had four crews. Korea was just coming to an end. Mm -hmm. So I got the Korean benefits as a result. It was still not over, but when I went aboard ship, then uh, the ship came back from Korea, and the Korea was then ending. So they shipped us over to the Sixth Fleet. So I had a cruise. One day after I went aboard ship, the ship sailed for uh, Europe, and we had all kind of uh, oh, we dealt dealt with many ships from NATO at that particular time over there. And I, anti-submarine warfare, things like that. And it was an experience. Plus, I got a chance to see uh, different ports, such as Barcelona and uh, Naples and Genoa and things like that. We pulled in, and then we came back, went to the Caribbean, came back from that, and that's when we got married. And and, and after that, uh, they did a. Uh, overhaul on the ship then we went back down to the Caribbean to make sure everything was okay we had a fire on a little island right off of Puerto Rico there mm -hmm. and then, then we came back from there back to uh, uh, Newport, Rhode Island and Boston area and then they shipped us again over to Europe and while I was in Europe in Athens it was time for me to get out so they they, they let uh, an officer and I fly to uh, from Athens to Naples and from Naples back to the States to get out of the separated from the Navy at that time. Okay, so, go so good. So you were in the Navy. You were on a destroyer, I believe it was the uh, the Purdy, right? The Purdy DD seven thirty four. Okay, a destroyer named the Purdy. Um, you did two years basically on that ship, right? Right. Where, where, you went to boot camp. Was that in uh, Great Lakes? No, no, Bainbridge, Maryland. Oh, Maryland. Okay. Yeah, Bainbridge, Maryland. And they sent you for training for the radar right after that. They didn't send me. I got the training aboard ship. Oh, you did. Okay. So yeah, the two-year uh, person. If you were in for more than two years, they would have probably sent me to school, but. But what happened was when we were in Boston after the first cruise mm -hmm. and came back, we all went to the Boston the Naval Headquarters, and they, we had eight weeks of training in radar at that particular time. Okay. So the first cruise, it was more or less, when I went aboard, I wasn't a radar man. Yeah. I wasn't in radar, I was, but a deckhand, really, when you think about it. Yeah. And then they were short in radar, and they talked to me and asked if I'd like to be part of it. And I said, sure. So the, 
the one who was in charge of radar said they'd, they'd like to have me, and I, the captain says, okay, take him. So you, you had a degree in economics. Right. And then you went into the Navy, and you, but you went in enlisted. Was there an option to go in as an officer or no? Uh, if I wanted to stay a lot longer and by, you know, being married and, you know, starting to have a family, I felt the best thing for me to do was just be two years in because at that time there was a military. It was the, uh, the, the draft was on. Mm-hmm. You had to serve two years. Well, many people had to serve years. A lot of people didn't serve. Right. But, uh, you know, I was one who had to, would have to serve it. So I said, you know, I had been in the Navy Reserves when I first started college, but then I dropped inactive because it was too far, and I had so much going on. And uh, as a result, when it was time, I, I was drafted by the Army, but I went over to the Navy and I said, you know, is there any chance to go to the Navy? And they said, sure. So they sent me to Bainbridge. And uh, they said, two years? And I said, yep. And that was it. Okay. So just... Uh, I didn't more... want to make a career out of it. Uh, anyway, you know. Sure. Fair enough. I, you know, obviously, I think, uh, speaking for myself, uh, going in there, I, I think I always had those questions. Do I want to make this a career or not? I mean, I, I knew that I always wanted to be part of the military for a number of reasons. Uh, but, you know, going into it, I, I was unsure whether I wanted to stay in it, make a career, and, or, or not, and, and be part of it. I ended up, obviously, as you know, uh, being in the reserves and all that, too. But I think that's a, it's a fair enough question. You know, some people go into it, and, and it's open-ended, and they're in full-time. Uh, you know, you did your two-year commitment, and obviously, uh, you had two daughters, my two sisters, who went in and, and did make careers of it uh, for a long time. So, so it's, it's good in a lot of different ways and kind of different options for many different people. So, and in looking back at your two years in the Navy, and then we'll move on from this, that what was some of your takeaways? What did you learn while you were in the Navy? And you, even if it's not just a skill, but in overall that you kind of incorporated into your life or your career from there on? Well, a couple of things that I, I found that I, I learned was living in a town, a small town, mining town, basically, you didn't have diversity. You had uh, people who were of different uh, backgrounds, either Polish or Irish or things. But when he went into the Navy, it was a whole different story. You know, board ship, you had people from way down south. You had uh, all kind, you know, variety, racial, and so on. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it, it probably brought me to, to the point where I said, you know, this world is not just my little world that I lived in, but, uh, you know, much broader. And, of course, meeting, seeing people, how they lived over in, in uh, we'll say, Europe and the Caribbean and so on, more so than Europe, you know, just coming on the streets and begging and begging uh, right. for uh, either cigarettes or for those candy or whatever you had, you know, hmm. and uh, it was an influence. It was also that, that I started thinking about what do I want to do, and I had talked to a few of the officers especially, right. and for some reason, you know, they you know, they said, sounds like you might be interested in teaching, you know, from what I, and uh, that probably put me in the direction that I went. Good, good, and 
I, I do recall maybe a few of the stories that you had to tell from your Navy career. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of piecing together a couple things that I didn't even know before, too, that I'm learning as we're doing this interview. So you uh, graduated with a degree in economics from King's and you went into the Navy. So here I'm piecing a story together or stories of people are going on shore leave and maybe you're not and you're maybe, maybe trading things for time off or maybe some some cash i don't know what's well i didn't trade things what happened what would happen was i had they would i didn't smoke mm -hmm. but they would give us two kinds of cigarettes for each trip that we took okay and what what would happen was some of the uh the guys uh, aboard ship would say to me i'll tell you what Give me one of those cards of cigarettes, and I'll I'll stand by for you over the weekend when we get back, or one of the weekends when we get back. Mm, <laughs> so nice. they would take my duty, and I would give them the cigarettes, and they would go over and barter. <laughs> All right. Over in Naples or in Genoa or Rocket Gibraltar, wherever we went, you know, <laughs> and uh, Athens, in, in uh, Istanbul. <laughs> yeah. It was, you know. But it was they. It was in their hands. I I didn't. Uh, I, I I didn't take the cigarettes. I didn't go over and do anything. They would. They would try to buy pens. They would try to buy cigarette lighters. <laughs> and uh, in fact, it was interesting because one of my, one of the guys I went on on uh, leave with, or we had uh, a chance to go on leave there. Yeah. Just daily, he had a a lighter, and. Uh, one of the people that was in Athens said, I'll give you this big pen, Parker pen, whatever it was, hmm. for that lighter. He said, it's worth, worth more. Well, they traded, and after the guy took off, he opened up the pen, and there was nothing inside. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, you know, it was very interesting. Uh, that's good. You got extra time off because you didn't smoke. You gave up your cigarettes, and, and that was a good deal for you. So good. So more time is, is good, especially on your second year of that, because you're married at this time and you had to get back to, to be with mom. And yeah, I used to hitchhike back from Boston to Wexbear on the 72. Yeah. Which is a pretty significant distance in itself as well. <laughs> yes, it was. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think there was a few stories about that too. I think one time you, uh, you rode in a hearse, if I recall yep. correctly. <laughs> Yes, I did, with the body of the feet sticking right up right behind me. <laughs> and the smell of formaldehyde going through it. But we stopped and we had the The fact the guy was good enough, he said, I'll tell you what, I'll treat you to a hamburger. <laughs> <laughs> so we stopped. <laughs> we wow. ate. And he, he brought me about five miles from uh, from home. Because so, he lived up in, I think it was Old Forge or someplace like that. One of the little towns closer between Stratton and Worksmeyer. So, you know, whatever ride I could get, I would take. Yeah, well, it was it's it is pretty interesting. Of course, um you never encouraged any of uh your children to go hitchhiking when you went back and forth and certainly I would never encourage my child to go hitchhiking, but but that oh, was Oh, not anymore. Of, no. In those days, of, that was an option back then. But you it was safe. Yeah, exactly. So, but I can only imagine from when that that one story alone um, maybe the hearse driver kind of like wanted some lively company and, uh, but I, I, 
I don't know. What was going through your head when you saw a, a hearse pulling over to give you a ride? <laughs> it was <laughs> there was another kid with me. Oh, really? A young kid. And it was raining, and we were under an overpass. Mm. And I, I said to the kid, I said, how long have you been here? He said, oh, about half an hour. I said, you didn't get a ride, huh? And I said, I'm still standing here. So I said, well, look, let me try. So I got out, stood out there, and about the second one that pulled in was the, uh, it was more of a panel truck uh, rather than the, the hearse. It was an actual hearse. Okay. The body was in there, though. So we, <laughs> he got in the middle, I got on the end. And we're going down the road, and I, I said, I kept sniffing. I said, that's a funny smell. What is that smell? He says, oh, that's formaldehyde. He said, I'm taking his body back to uh, the Scranton area. The kid looked around, and he said, that's it. I'm getting out of here. <laughs> <laughs> it was raining like that. Yeah. And I said, it's raining. Why do you wait at least until it overpass? No, I went out now. <laughs> so I got out, let him out, and I got back in. <laughs> wow. All right. So, you again, see the we... feet, go ahead, the feet go ahead. was sticking up. <laughs> so, I, I was just going to oh, say, yeah. once again, I found out something that I did not know before. So, I, I I was kind of picturing a hearse in my mind, and it's a panel truck. So, you know, it's one thing to, to let you guys in, but not even let you know, like, oh, by the way, uh, yeah, I know you're getting in, and there's a there's a dead body in the back. So, I I think that, that would raise some more I questions. Ride. <laughs> I guess so. It's late at night, it's raining, and that's it. <laughs> that's for good stuff good stories later on all right so let's get back to it so you um, did your time in the navy you went back to college you did your student teaching you now want to teach high school uh, social studies right. so and and that whole uh, student teaching experience and and everything went well it kind of made you feel that you were on the right track at this point yeah, yes. In fact, uh, you know, I realized that there was nothing in that area. And, of course, I had to, we had to go to, when I say we, because there were others, you know, we graduated, they either had to go to uh, New York State or New Jersey or Delaware to get jobs teaching because mm-hmm. back in where I, you know, lived, it was political. First of all, you paid for the job which I couldn't afford. (laughs) And secondly, they didn't pay that much. It was interesting when we were ready to get the job, we went down and stopped at about four schools. It was Somerville. They they offered me a job. Downbrook offered me a job, but they were not high school jobs. I went to Rahway. They offered me a job. Then I finally went to Edison. And the superintendent there was a fantastic person. He had the gift of gab, and he was serious. He was very, very honest about that. He said, I'll tell you what you can do, you know. So I I took the job, and then said, uh, this other fellow and I went down, uh, a fellow by the name of Don Ferenc. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he ended up teaching English, and I taught the social studies uh, to, well, ninth and 10th graders, basically. Okay. And that was at Edison High School for three years. So right there, so, so again, I'm, I'm going to repeat myself, that you went through, you, you specifically went back to college to get your uh, credentials in order to get a teaching certificate, and then you, you had a good experience, you went out, you pursued a job, you got a job at Edison High School. What was it about teaching 
that that really attracted you and and you know maybe it was the subject matter maybe it was the connection maybe it was something else but what was your draw to suddenly you know to have the the light come on and go like i want to be a teacher for whatever reason what what's what's that i guess i was kind of lucky in a way that even though when i was at edison the class i had 42 children 42 youngsters in my classes they were sitting on the radiator if there was 40 chairs and if everybody was present, two of them had to sit on the radiator. Hmm. So, you know, and and the fact that it was a diversity, uh, it was not a homogeneous, it was heterogeneous. Right. They could read one couldn't, couldn't even read the paper, and you know the others. And, and uh, I guess I had I worked out the one I went to to find out more things about some of the kids mm-hmm. was a nurse who had been there for years. And, you know, some of the kids were very poor. And at that time, there was a uh, military uh, facilities in, in Edison where they would come in and maybe stay six months, and then they'd be leaving. So mm-hmm. my role book was crossed off and new names added all the way down. But uh, interesting. interesting. Actually, that, I, I enjoyed, the, I enjoyed the, the kids. That military really. facility is actually now the, uh, the campus of uh, Middlesex County College. Yeah, right. uh, and that was a, a large, uh, you know, army installation that did a lot of preparation and training for World War II, and shipped out, uh, I believe, a lot of the munitions and, and things like that too. That that happened there, so they were pretty significant. Uh, so they would come and go. So you had a lot of transient students in in your classes. Oh yeah, yes, we did. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So you're, but you're okay. feeling good about teaching obviously you're making connections with your students you're helping them out um so that was kind of like was that the driving force for you being a teacher well i i, I enjoyed that but that, while i was there i got talking to people and of course uh what looked appealing to me then was a guidance the mm-hmm. field of guidance and as a result uh the fellow who was in charge of the uh program said well why don't you come down one period a day and he said we'll give you a couple of kids you can talk to them and work work things out well i started my master's also at seton hall in that i had the gi bill mm-hmm. to cover that so i was able to by the time let's see by yes it was uh within th- three years i had the master's in personal guidance and that's when I moved to uh, Bridgewater Raritan. And even when I went there, I just got one year of social studies, and the next year I became the counselor. Okay. And, you know, I was the, they had a funny system, <laughs> which put a burden on me. There were five of us that were counselors. Uh, three of them had the freshmen and the sophomores, one had the juniors, and I had all the seniors, and that was like 450 seniors. Wow! And I had to do their transcripts, recommendations, talk to them about. They they knew much of my college before they came because the junior, one who worked about the junior, did some preparation. But a lot of pressure was on me, and I also to make sure they graduated. Wow. So for about the. Uh, Let's see, three years there, 
I was the senior counselor. Interesting. And, uh, you know, it was because, you know, I would come home at night, and I don't know if you, you were part of it, but <laughs> I would be bringing things home, and you guys were working with me to get schedules ready, and and also I would be doing the uh, write-ups and, uh, you know, for kids. The, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll break in there because I do, I think a lot of us now, obviously I was the, not obviously, but I'll <laughs> let people any listening to this, I'm the youngest of seven children there. And I do recall you bringing work home and sitting around the family room with tons and tons of cards and kind of like index cards and, and just kind of laying everything out. And I believe you were doing the master schedule at that time. Doing master schedule and also the schedules for the students, right? Okay. And Changing them wherever we had to change and so on. Yeah. So what classes are running? Yep. What students are running classes and and what's happening oh, yeah. there too? So that's. Oh yeah. That, that wasn't was, easy. No, no. You talk about you know people working, teachers taking their work home with them and things like that. That was definitely uh, definitely uh, pretty big and obvious in in front of our eyes and and. You know, certainly a learning experience. So the other thing I do recall is that we did get to travel just a little bit. Um, it was by station wagon, and we did a camper one time down in Florida. But I, I know you've uh, talked to a lot of people. You would see colleges, and you'd make a lot of connections to people in other colleges and things like that and actually make some visits there too. So that was another part of your experience as well, correct? Oh yeah, we we lucked out in that respect. We uh had a couple of colleges in Boston at different times. Mm-hmm. Uh, St. Leo in Florida put us up for six six days, so we were able to go down there and uh, get to Disney World as a result of visit their their campus. Yeah. And uh well, there was a different one. We went down to uh some in the Carolinas uh, near where the Marcellus was uh, stationed and saw some colleges down there. So it was, it was interesting. Good. But, uh, you know, people would come in and say, if you get a chance, visit us. And I'd say, well, can we? Lay <laughs> 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 over? Sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there you go. They're almost sorry they, uh, they made the offer, but you took them up on it uh, a few times, so it really worked oh, out. Oh, yeah. Well, That's they were nice. happy to do it. Because yeah. the summertime, they... Students usually left, like, you know, the St. Leo, we had, I think it was six six rooms down there. Yeah. So, you know, and they had a swimming pool. And we were able to go to Disney World from there. We went to uh, to a different place. We went to visit the, the principal of the uh, Bridgewater High School I was in. Mm-hmm. And he had a place down there in uh, Florida, which wasn't too far from there. Yeah. We tried to see as much as we could. Well, you know, it's we've learned a lot, you know, having my my own daughter and going on college visits and seeing what the colleges are like and, you know, big, small, medium, you know, private, public, all kinds of uh different aspects that <clears throat> each one offers. Uh location, distance, all that good stuff too. So that's a learning experience enough for us. And that's just, you know, parents worried about their, their kids, their kids, you know, thinking about their future and where they want to be. But as uh, someone in guidance, 
that, you know, you're kind of doing some recommendations and you're helping students, you know, bring up possibilities or maybe connecting their wants or their likes and dislikes or their personalities to, you know, their choice of post-secondary education, if they're going on to that, that, uh, you know, it's good to become familiar with it. So actually to go there and see it in person uh, does wonders for everybody, especially if it's part of your career and your job. Well, you, you learn more about what's there and what they can, you know, what kind of kids might fit in very nicely. But they're very interesting watching the Army-Navy game yesterday. They brought me back to the point where I spent three days at Annapolis and three days at West Point. Mm-hmm. Uh, they invited counselors at that time to be part of it and to go through the program, you know, to see what happens and selection and things like that. So it was very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And we get out, uh, a number of different, one fella took us out to the Midwest in Iowa, Oskaluska. <laughs> we saw some colleges, which I didn't realize were even in existence. And, uh, you know, we've had kids at that time that was difficult to get into college. So a lot of schools were just starting up uh, in Nebraska and Iowa and so on. And they're no longer in existence today, many of them. But uh, at that time, they were able to get one one big professor from maybe Harvard or Yale and build their program around that. Mm-hmm. And uh, they took in people that wanted to go to college. And at that time, the state schools here in New Jersey were very small in number, and uh, even the private schools. Right. And as a result, it was difficult to get in. You had to be very, very good student to get in. Hmm. So, so well, that, 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 that's part, uh, something I want to explore a little bit more, too, here, too. So you have a lot of students that you're in charge of. You had uh, upwards of about 400 seniors that uh, you're writing recommendations for, you're contacting me, obviously you had to schedule their classes and this and that. Um, but, you know, not everybody was ready to go to college or wanted to go to college. Uh, right. So, so how, do you, how do you help them? How do you, you know, work with the people that don't want to go to college or maybe, you know, that's not the right choice for them or whatever? So. Well, at that time there were a lot of uh, technical schools. And uh, also, in addition to that, the uh, oh, for the for the girls, you know, some of the uh, secretarial mm-hmm. were not part of colleges, but they were maybe one or two year program. And we used to have people coming in from those. And then, of course, the world of work, you know, uh, they had work programs that they started in Bridgewater, and they had one down when I went to Franklin. They had a fellow down there uh, who I got very close to as far as working with him because he was able to go out and get jobs for kids and uh, meet, meet people, employers, and, you know, he would go somewhere and he'd say, do you want to go and meet this, you know, and I would say, yes, yeah, sure, you know. Good. So I was able to go out and meet people also with him, and that was the world of work. So if I remember correctly, they had, I think, like two different tracks or two different programs for the the world of work there. Um, And maybe it wasn't so formal there, but I know by the time I finally got there, there was 
cooperative industrial education and cooperative office education uh, for those people who kind of um, this, the distinction was made are you, are you going to work in you know kind of industry and and more hands-on stuff or, or are you going out to be in a, a business or an office and, and things like that so was that pretty accurate yeah, and when you think about it, you know, there are people, and I, the one I'm thinking of is Fisher's first husband, uh, Bill, who went out and worked for AT&T mm -hmm. in his senior year in high school, junior senior year in high school, right? and stayed on for what, how many years, 40-plus years? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it had benefits. He didn't want to go to college. He wanted the world to work, and, you know, went into that, and... That was it. There were a lot of people like that at that time. Exactly. And, you know, there were a lot of people who who didn't even have college degrees that were working uh, in bigger jobs at, at places like AT&T because at that time, n not as many went to college. It was then that they probably started to boom. Right. And people realized, that, you know, that you better go, in most cases, if you want something a little a little better. Yeah, so we we keep going back and forth, and I I think some of these discussions or questions and even arguments sometimes are still made today, and I think they occurred a long time ago. You even reflect back on your own life; it was kind of assumed that you would go to college. Uh, I know uh, it, there wasn't a huge amount of pressure, but I think it was assumed that we would all go to college in in our family. Um, and here you are being in guidance and you're working with, you know, these 400 seniors or whatever that I'm sure there were other parents that would more or less assume that their child would go to college. And uh, there had to be some discussions or some dilemmas about, you know, maybe the child itself did not want to go to college or maybe wasn't academically prepared to succeed in college so uh, ha have you come across those issues and kind of does anything stand out in your mind about some of those dilemmas well it was interesting because you know they would come in and they would as you said assume that their son or daughter is going to go to college but you know in your mind you said well you know if you feel that way and he feels that way then they've got to try but in most cases in many cases uh you know, I can remember many of them, I say, Where, what happened to Jim Jones? And he dropped out, but maybe a few years later, he went back, you know, mm -hmm. to another school or to something. But some, some people weren't ready for it and didn't go. Some people weren't ready for it but did go. And, uh, you know, after, after you have, you know, you're not going to say you can't go. You know, if the parents are saying he's applying to and the kid says, yeah, I'm applying to, you know. Uh, then you're going to go along with them, and you know, you say, "Well, let's see what happens." You know, yeah, it is to yourself. Okay, good. And so that's basically, you know, that's basically where it would, it would lie. Okay, so I only have a couple of questions left here. That okay. um, you've made the switch somewhat earlier in your career. Uh, once you got into teaching, that you made a career shift. So it was still in education, and you know that whole career path. You spent a significant amount of, of time and years in education, but you shifted from being a teacher to a different role in education and being in guidance. 
So what was it about guidance that kind of attracted you? Um, here I go between the bullet points here from being a teacher into guidance and, and why? Why shift? Well, I thought basically, basically helping, you know, them individually looking at, at the, the field of guidance. Uh, I, I saw a little more there that I could do than, than uh, not that I did in teaching, but I thought this would be more specific, something that, uh, well, you know, I sort of took a liking to it. And it was funny that people at Bridgewater, the first principal there, Jack Arian, Dr. Arian, uh, he's the one that <laughs> set up this program where you would have one senior counselor, one junior counselor, and he had three. And he said he, he put a lot of trust in me. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, he helped me in the beginning because the first year, you know, a lot of recommendations and so on that he had. He sort of said, well, we'll take a look at these over. If they sort of fit in with the kid, maybe you could use some of them, but you're on your own. So at that particular point, you know, I started beating him. And uh, the sad part was, of course, I never knew him. I knew many of them well because I did teach some of them. Right. And some of them I really didn't know that much, but I would call them in the office and talk to them, look over their records, and then usually we'd have parent conferences mm -hmm. for many of them. And that, that took a lot of time up, but it's, you know, but uh, I would go in and, you know, early in the morning and come home late at night with work. Yeah. And speaking of that, uh, not only were you doing that, but you were working extra jobs at school so just a just oh, a yeah. quick quick list of some of the extra jobs that you had during your experience or, or what well, student council advisor i had the sophomore class advisor uh i had i was in charge of the late buses that would leave at six o'clock at night mm -hmm. i had to go down and make sure everything worked out well for that <laughs> the funny part was they paid like two hundred dollars a year <laughs> but it was funny yeah and we needed it so i went after it yeah, yeah. and you were a, and then, a coach then, then as well of course right? i took took the uh, courses at, at uh, rutgers and uh at kane and, and at the newark state and trenton mm -hmm. or not uh, at trenton yes in uh jersey city and also had a summer grant at fordham and uh, so I ended up with about 70 graduate courses after after the degree. So ma the master's, master's plus 70? Yeah, they right. kept taking them. As long as they would offer them, many, many were free in, in the field of guidance. With yeah. different, like Rutgers, when I run something and for work, and, uh, you know, they would offer it to counselors, and I would I'd take advantage of it. Hmm. And you were also... So, um... I and also driver ed. Driver ed <laughs> at yeah. Trenton. Yeah, I took this course there. Yeah. Was able to teach driver ed as a result. So you taught the class in the school and you did behind the wheel as well. Yep, yep. The simulation class and then the behind the wheel both. And you were also a coach. <laughs> Many yeah, coached the uh, freshman uh soccer J V tennis. Uh, let's see. Head bowling, girls bowling coach. Uh, 
assistant uh, varsity softball. There must be something else to it. <laughs> yeah. But anytime uh, they needed someone, the, the uh, uh, athletic director would he'd say, Gene, do you think you could coach this? I'd say, Jimmy, I don't know anything about it. <laughs> he'd say, they'll, they'll teach you. They'll teach you. The kids will. They know all about it. <laughs> That's and they true. did. That's they did. True. I uh, I can I can relate to that. Uh, obviously, you were a big influence on me, and I went into teaching as well. And I also did some coaching and some advisorships and all that too. And I don't know, maybe because of your influence, I ended up as the boys' bowling coach, which I didn't know that well either. But uh, the students were very good about teaching me some of the finer points as well. So I can yes, they were. absolutely relate to that one. So that's that's great. That's great. Now, uh, how many years did you spend in education total that you retired from? 37. 37 years. That's, that's a yeah, very significant years. career in education. Um, excellent, well-deserved. Um, you, you've had a good retirement in there. So looking back on your career, starting as a teacher and 37 years later retiring in guidance, uh, is there anything that stands out as, you know, maybe a – some of your significant memories or, or change points or, you know, something that really, really affected you in a good way um, that you walked away, you know, learning something from or, or holding near and dear to your heart or any of that? Well, just the, you know, different ones, uh, parents that I had and so on would, when they talked, you know, they always sort of said, Hey, I had one of the best counselors they could have, and uh, they feel good. And, uh, you know, the, the fact that kids, when I see them, they're no longer kids, they're adults. We'll say in Bridgewater area, or, you know, they come over and talk to me, and, you know, someone thanked me. When he went, came back from college, she said, you know what? My advisor said to come back and say to you, thank you. <laughs> so I said, well, that's nice. She said, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be in there at that school. And yeah. she said, I'm enjoying it. Yeah. Good, good. So you are a, so, a positive influence on many, many students. I can definitely attest that uh, for years growing up and going out and about, and part of the teacher syndrome is that when you go out into the community, there's uh, students, if you run into a, a family or a student that you know or something like that, they kind of give you a second look because they don't believe you exist in the community that you're, you really only live in the school and, and that's about it. Uh, I've run into that a number of times here and there. Um, but I do remember being out at, at, you know, Grand Union or Acme or something like that. And you would run into some counselees uh, and they would always kind of greet you very fondly and very happy and, and kind of get you uh, caught up on, on where they were. Uh, so that, that had to be a nice feeling. Yeah, well, I enjoyed that and uh, enjoys the years that I, that I did work and, you know, happy that I picked the right place to, to work and the right things to do. And, uh, you know, now just enjoy the rest of my life. Uh, that's good. So just to wrap that up, I mean, I know it was it was my own experience in, in witnessing you uh, deal with people 
and how well you did and uh, you you truly cared about each and every one of your counselees and the people that you worked for and and there was always a good story or a smile or a laugh and and things that that went on to that so uh, I can definitely say from an observer's point of view that you ended up in the in the right career for you uh, you did very well and uh, you deserve uh, probably a whole lot more accolades than than you've got formally but I know Personally, a lot of people have said thank you to you. Uh, the one thing that always amazed me about you is that no matter who we would run into, whether it be a teacher or uh, someone you knew way back when uh, or a counselee, that you always knew their details. You always knew their story. Uh, most oftentimes you would know their brothers or sisters or other people that were connected to them. And only later on in my life did I actually say uh, this is very similar to the, the Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon because you would often go in into their story, into their connections, and you would always bring it back to someone else that you knew or grew up with or, or did something like that. So um, a fantastic memory and great connections, and you put a lot of things together. But obviously, you cared, and and that's the biggest piece of any educator and you were definitely an example of that and a good role model so for all of us looking at where we ended up and what we took away with you know i can only say thank you yeah uh, we're very very proud of all you guys well no doubt about that well you and mom were definitely obviously big influences on our life and and how you lived your life and how you uh you know had your career and and what you put into it and Sometimes you wouldn't just leave your job at the doorstep. You'd bring it home with you. And, you know, like I said, we saw it in the community and all that, too. But, you know, it was more of a vocation for you. Uh, you didn't end up in the priesthood as maybe you, you normally you, you thought early on. But when we think of priests and kind of, you know, their role in our life and society... Uh, you didn't end up too far from that, to be honest with you. you <laughs> ended up in education. Yeah. You did a lot became of good a father. Stuff. Absolutely. Became a father seven times. <laughs> you did, and 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 to many, many more children than just the seven. So that's that's pretty wild. So again, right. thank you for everything you did. Thank you for sharing your story with us. And well, thank you. All the information that happened between the bullet points. So it's very interesting. Oh, I know okay. a lot of people. Well, thank you very much. Excellent. All you right. enjoy. All right. Thank you. Okay. That wraps up this episode of Between the Bullet Points. My name is Sean McDonald, and it's my hope that these career stories can enlighten and inspire people that may be contemplating career choices or changes. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on this podcast, please email us at betweenthebulletpoints at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. This has been a production of The Resume Project regarding careers, resumes, and what happens between the bullet points.